Hi, this is Eric Chase, afternoon host on Q105 for Cumulus Media and your host for 68 Words. Our guest in this episode has some of the greatest power one can have. Katie Maskey has dominion over Girl Scout cookies. You can imagine how much running around comes with being such an important part of the Girl Scouts. Katie does that, and most of the time, she's dealing with some kind of discomfort. It's hard sometimes to concentrate on anything else, and, and that's where chronic pain is difficult because you look fine on the outside. Especially even fibromyalgia, if you are going through something like that, you still have a day-to-day life to live. And so you go do the things that you need to do while you're still kind of struggling internally and just trying to make it through the day. People, places, and spaces doing disability differently sharing first-hand experience in our podcast. Inspired by the 68 words that sparked the disability rights movement, learn where it started and what's next. Hi, my name is Stuart James and I'm the executive director here at the Ability Center and welcome to 68 Words. Let me introduce and welcome Katie Maskey to 68 Words. Thank you for taking the time to visit our podcast about all kinds of disability awareness. Thank you so much for having me. Um, We can talk about some Girl Scouts, which is like gold (laughs) later on, but you're here. Um, I watched your video. It was in 2015, Ida. Not as in kind of where you, near where you live. Right. Uh, The Invisible Disability Disability. Association. You are good. Uh, I did my did your homework. I did my homework. (laughs) I had to catch up because it's Miss... Mrs. Ohio 2015? I was at the time, correct, because I lived in Toledo, and now I'm just over the border. I'm a Michigander. And then there was Mrs. U.S. Continental in 2016, right? Yes, absolutely. You are good. You are good. I do my homework. (laughs) I do my homework. Um, So all kinds of Mrs. This, Mrs. That, because you're attractive and smart and intelligent and have tons of great causes. (laughs) It's not just Girl Scout cookies with Katie Maskey. That's um, correct. <laughs> let's let's go back to 2004, and we'll do a timeline here. And I have some questions Ooh. within the timeline. Okay. I want to talk about your parents. Okay. Um, in 2004, your lung collapsed. Yeah. Before, and you were about to get married. I yes. So it's funny because I know you and I have known each other. I feel like for years now. Five, six years. Right. And we always talk about cookies, or I see you at you know the Victory Center, or I see you at something with the Ability Center, or whatever the case may be. But I don't know that you've ever really nope. like known my story. Nope. So yes, 2004, my lung just spontaneously collapsed and they call it spontaneous pneumothorax. To this day, they still don't have a reason for it. And I, it landed me a month in the hospital. I ended up having to have multiple procedures. Um, I, I a lot of surgeries left me with a large scar across my rib cage from front to back. So that time was a little crazy. Wait, and I'm sorry. When were you about to get married on that timeline? So that was February okay. and June. Okay. I got out of the hospital, I want to say the beginning of April and then June. I mean, it's fast. Yeah. And definitely, I, there was a lot of planning. Most of the planning was done at that point, but there were some little loose ends that you need to tie up right before that I just said, I don't care. I just want to walk down the aisle. That was my main goal. That was what I kept, you know, thinking about. And yeah, it happened and all is well. But because of the surgeries and everything that my body had to go through at that time, it left me with a lot of chronic pain. You know, I don't know if you've ever had a rib injury. There's really not too much that they can necessarily do for them. Mm -hmm. But they had to go in and spread my ribs and, you know, do all this stuff in my lungs and in my um, chest wall. And, And so, yeah, it left me with a lot of chronic pain. 
chronic pain, I know that you talked about uh, with your mom, and we'll get to that later on, yes. fibromyalgia, yes. which is a, a catch-all. I thought I was dealing with something uh, like that a long time ago, and okay. it, it's it's it, it's evasive. So when you it's say, hard to diagnose, first of all, because there's a, not one thing. Right. right. Um, so... When you say chronic pain, tell walk me through your body. Like if I'm looking at your skeleton up on a big projector, like point to this. Tell me where it hurts. Okay. So my right side is where I had the surgery and essentially your diaphragm. I mean, I had to go to physical therapy to retrain myself how to breathe properly because it's like having a clamp on your rib cage all the time. So when you breathe, you think about you breathe in your diaphragm area, not in your upper chest, down kind of in your in your lower rib cage. And I wasn't doing that because it was hurting. So I had to go to physical therapy to learn how to rebreathe, which is not fun, by the way. I will tell you, it's a very weird therapy. It's been so long now that I kind of vaguely even remember it, but I remember hating it. <laughs> so that's where all the pain was. And it was it's hard sometimes to concentrate on anything else. And and that's where chronic pain is difficult because you look fine on the outside. I mean, you know, especially even fibromyalgia, if you are going through something like that, you still have day-to-day life to live. Mm-hmm. And so you go do the things that you need to do while you're still kind of struggling internally and just trying to make it through the day. And that's where I was kind of attracted to learning more about this term, invisible disability, because it's still not a household term. Usually when I kind of give talks about it, I always feel out my audience and I'll ask everybody to raise their hand if you've ever heard of the word invisible disability. And it's, it's funny how little people actually raise their hands at that point. Then I explain what it is. You know, it's invisible usually means non-existent, which that's not the case here. Invisible means you just can't see it physically. And once I explain that and talk about, you know, different, there's no one or two or, you know, there's so many ailments that go along with the word invisible disability. If you look at their website, you'll never see a whole list of things because even when you have a physical disability, there might be invisible illnesses or, or symptoms that go along with that, that people don't realize you're also living with. And so once I explain that, then you Usually almost everybody in the room either deals with that themselves or knows somebody or is caring for somebody with an invisible disability that they just didn't realize. With the chronic pain. So we talked about where it was. So it was yeah. mostly on one side. Correct. Give me an example over the course of a week or a month. Was it different degrees of, of pain? Like you never knew what you were going to wake up to the next day? Yeah, that would be a good way to say it. Um, Some days were better than others. Obviously, depending on my level of activity, too, that would kind of mess with things. But it was always there. That that was the biggest thing. It was always there. Now, it's 2023. I mean, I'm going on, what, 19 years? And I it's not as bad. I can say that. Like I can still feel it on a day-to-day basis. I think I've just learned how to cope and how to, to manage that pain better. Um, I guess this was the, the late aughts and maybe the early 2010s. Um, tell me, uh, how you, how you mentally manage this because I'm sure it just wore you away and you had to build something up within yourself and don't give your motto yet. I'm saving that for later on. Oh gosh. Um, do you remember what your motto is? I don't know what uh, I've uh, right. written down or so, what you're specifically talking about, so but maybe ha- yes. How, what, what kind of mental anguish was this for you? You know, I feel like for me it was more of feeling like a burden to others. You know, I mean, I, my husband is amazing and he's, 
signed on for this. You know, I mean, obviously this all happened before we got married. He could have walked away before then, but he didn't. And it's just feeling like you're a burden when, you know, you're having bad days and you know you're taking it out on maybe others and you don't mean to or maybe you're not that cheery person that you always are. So that's I, I try to cope with that more so um, mentally, you know, how am I affecting others and and then yeah living with it because I don't do a lot of medication and that brings into my um, history with my father because he was um and he was addicted to heroin, and that started from an addiction to painkillers. He had a back injury, was he? did. It? He was involved in a car accident, and that led to some major um, back surgeries. And actually, one of his surgeries was very similar to the surgery I had. So he had a very similar scar across his rib cage than I did. And, and we kind of bonded over that because we did have a little bit of the same. I don't want to say everything was the same by any means, but my rib cage pain was very similar to what he had experienced with one of his surgeries. And you know, he, it was just the unfortunate circumstances. I do think that addiction is a disease and, you know, it's, that was his invisible disability in a sure. sense. And, and unfortunately he did pass away in 20, um, 2009 at the very end of that. And, and he was clean and sober and everything. It was just, you know, it took a toll on his body. What about your mom? She had fibromyalgia. She still does. That. Yes, she still does. Um, she's got Sjogren's syndrome and fibromyalgia and, you know, she was diagnosed before they even called it fibromyalgia. I think they called it chronic pain, chronic fatigue syndrome. I That's what it was. That. Yes. Yeah. And so she has always lived with it. But, you know, she did a really good job of managing the family household. And, you know, so I feel like I kind of took some of how I manage my pain from her because she still lived a daily life and still worked and provided for the family and did everything she needed to do. And then obviously when everything happened with my father and he was in his um, car accident, she still had to keep going, even though I'm sure there were days when she felt horrible. Um, we'll walk this ahead a little bit, little bit further uh, shortly and, and tie this all up and we'll bring it to the present. But yeah. the stuff with your with your um, chronic pain, dealing with your mom and your dad's yeah. addiction, when I was watching your story, I sensed and now you work with the Girl Scouts, you work with the Ability Center, you're yeah. doing all these great causes. Do you think that like that time after 2004, that was the birth of of your enlightenment of empathy? Because we were just young, dumb, selfish, 20-something <laughs> kids then. Right? I honestly, a little bit, I I really kind of credit more of my father's passing to my rebirth. You know, I, I kind of say sometimes in death you find new life. And I found that after losing him. 2010 was my year of you know, he was a great father. He was a great man. He would give you the shirt off of his back. He just lived with something that was, you know, difficult for him to get through. And I, so I did want to kind of leave a, a legacy. And that is where I turned my grieving for that loss and everything that I had kind of gone through up to that point in 2010 as my, you know what, I'm going to do something good with this. And that's when I started volunteering and getting involved and yeah, that was kind of my rebirth. How did you track down Ida? Again, not Michigan, but the Invisible Dis Disabilities. Disability Association. Yeah, I honestly started Googling. Somebody had actually mentioned to me, um, at that time I was Mrs. Ohio, and so I was representing the state. And, and when you represent um, on that kind of pageant platform, you do have generally a cause that you will advocate for, raise awareness for, whatnot. And somebody had mentioned, you should 
talk about invisible disabilities because that's really what you're living with every day. And, and even though it wasn't a disability that disabled me in that respect, I was still able to, you know, I kind of say I'm a lucky one of the unlucky ones. But I thought, you know, I really want to shed some more light on this and talk about this more. So I started Googling just like anybody else does. And that's where I found Invisible Disabilities Association. I reached out to their website. I reached out like two or three times. I never heard back. And then I found who the president and the founder was. And I literally stalked him on Facebook. (laughs) And I messaged him there and he messaged me right back. We ended up talking on the phone for a long time. Come to find out they're a grassroots organization. They have volunteers that manage things and they're very small. They're based out of Colorado. They are a national nonprofit, but they don't have chapters or any local places. And so I just started chatting with the founder and got to know them really well and the rest is history. How do they help people? Or is it more of just like a everybody gets together to commiserate? Or are there resources that can help someone like you or someone else? Yeah, all of the above. Good. So they do have a community forum that people can kind of go on and chat with each other and offer support and, you know, kind of just be that um, source of unleashing as well. Uh, But then they are also working on changing some, you know, legislation and getting invisible disabilities more recognized as, as a disability in a sense. So they are working on an initiative of the national ID. So they're looking at um, getting the invisible, invisible disability logo, just like when you're an organ donor and you have that on your ID, it shows that little logo. They're looking at getting the invisible disability logo, being able to be on your ID card so that people can recognize. There was actually a man in Ohio that was pulled over and they thought that he was intoxicated, but really he just had a little bit of a learning, you know, disability in that sense. I I think he was autistic or something of that nature. And I can't remember right this moment, but that there is a disconnect there. You people, it's hard for people to understand something they can't see. Probably also need to do more of that with the legislation incredibly helpful as we're in this transitional time of more and more employers being more employee centric and yes. more holistic with the needs of their employee. I'm sure there have been plenty of people when we were first matriculating, you took a sick day if you were sick, like if you were blowing right. your nose like crazy, not if you had an achy chronic pain day because right. a boss might not understand. And I'm guessing with legislation, it helps with that. Well, and even mental health, you know, mental health is a big part of That's what I use my days on. Yes. I yes. Sick. <laughs> well, and you know, you think about the mental aspect of it too, you know, that is, it can be considered an invisible illness or syndrome or symptom as well. So that is all encompassing, which is why, again, you'll never see on the Invisible Disabilities Association website a list of all of these different, you know, things that are considered an invisible illness because there's just the it's too far and vast. Can, when you have when hands are raised, can you give me some more? Maybe just rattle. You don't have to give me all of them. Yeah. Although you could if you wanted to. I want them alphabetized though. Oh gosh. Um, what are some of the, the common ones and maybe a really uncommon one? Well, even like MS, you know, you think about that. Any um, autoimmune disorders are usually always some sort of invisible disability or illness or symptom or syndrome. Um, you know, even with chronic pain, mental disorders, um, fibromyalgia, all those things we've already kind of talked about as well. But really anything that somebody, when you look at them, you say, well, but you look good, but you look good. I, right. I That's where it's where people have that disconnect and understanding because you're sitting here, you're capable, you're doing the things. Nobody would necessarily know that Eric is dealing with a mental health day today. Well, I, or, I, I faked, I faked 
being okay for years and still right? do. Exactly. We A lot of us do that. But even those other, and I, I always say symptoms and syndromes, because somebody may be needing to use an assistance device to get around, but they might have, maybe they have chronic migraines or something that you're just not seeing that they're also working through. How did you come to be a keynote speaker? Was it 2015? Yes. So I kind of, as talking to Wayne Cannell, the founder of the organization, um, his wife has Lyme disease and lupus. And so he started it to kind of help her and support her. We talked about what can I do? What can I do to help? And I became an ambassador and kind of started to lead up that ambassador program because, again, they're grassroots. They just didn't have somebody working that field. So I started bringing people on board. And then that's when they had asked me to come to their gala and present and talk about Ida Cares, which was... um, a project that they were working on to connect caregivers with those that are needing the care so that they were on the same page. Uh, it was like a whole survey and it was just a nice project. And so, yeah, I went and, and was a keynote speaker and talked and shared my story with the audience there and then also got to hear from other people too. Um, I saw this when I jumped through their website. And so there's another part to this story before we move on to some other things. Um, you found out you had a Tarlov cyst ah, disease. Taking us to the present. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're jumping ahead here. <laughs> uh, Tarlov cyst disease, was this connected to everything all along? I don't know. That's that's the hard thing when you are diagnosed with a rare disease, which is what this is. Uh, it's Many people listening probably, if you have something that's considered a rare disease, you know you jump through hoops to try to connect the dots. And I don't know. I don't know that yet. I'm working through that still right now. I just had spinal nerve surgery 10 months ago, and so I'm still figuring out life. <laughs> what was what took you, what brought you to that diagnosis? Yes, so I actually won Mrs. Michigan America, getting ready to go to Mrs. America in 2021. Early 2020, though, I started to feel some pain in my hip and in my pelvis area, it kind of traveled. It was more there. I started, I went to emergency room, they did an x-ray, I went to, I, at one point I even went to my gynecologist just because I was having some female issues and nobody knew what was going on. They didn't realize it was coming from my spinal nerves until the pain got so bad that I literally was in a debilitated state and I couldn't do anything. I went to the emergency room. I ended up having an MRI finally and they found the cysts. So what they are is actually, you know how your, your spinal fluid kind of flows through your spinal nerves. Sure. Right. Everybody knows that. Um, what was happening in my body with Tarlov cyst disease is that that spinal fluid is pooling in your nerves and it's ballooning the nerve itself. And there's literally like two neurosurgeons in the entire country that have the fix for this. So I had to go to Texas and have surgery and it's been a process. What was recovery of that like? Um, I, it was supposed to be 12 weeks. I ended up because I, you know, it was during the summer. I was off season at Girl Scouts. So I luckily have the flexibility of working from home. And and I did go back after eight weeks and just have been taking it very easy and recovery. You know, you have to relearn how to walk properly and making sure that you're not overdoing it. And it's one of those things where right now I'm to the point 10 months. Um, I'm still figuring out where my limits are. Uh, 
was this life changing? Yes, extremely. I had to give up my Mrs. Michigan title and that was hard. That was hard because I was preparing for Mrs. America and I was really looking forward to that and representing and talking about, you know, all of the things that I could on this national platform. And I had to make that decision because I knew I couldn't do 10 days in Las Vegas in six inch high heels when you just are having, you know, spinal issues. And um, it was life changing for sure, because I've just learned a lot more about myself and what I'm capable of and what I'm able to get myself through in a sense. What did you learn? I learned that life is fragile. You know, I mean, you live every day and, and yes, I have lived with chronic pain. And so for me, I felt like a little bit, you know, is this pain really that bad? Am I just feeling it? What's going on? And, and, you know, you start questioning yourself, like, do I need to get this checked out when it's something that that kind of doesn't make sense? And that was what was happening with me. But I've learned that really just to find those things that bring you joy and because you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, I'm guessing one of the things that brings you joy is Ferdinand. <laughs> he is not a pterodactyl. He is a polydactyl. No, it sounds very um, dinosaur era-ish, he's right? Not, he's not anything near a dinosaur. <laughs> no. Tell me about Ferdinand. Okay, Ferdinand is my cat, and he is a polydactyl cat, which just means... which. Extra digits. That's what polydactyl means. Extra digits. So it doesn't just happen in cats. People get it too. I right. There was a baseball pitcher that had an extra finger. Oh, look at you. I <laughs> I learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, Antonio Alfonseca had okay. an extra finger. Yes. That, right. That's why. Okay. Ferdinand. Okay. Extra, Ferdinand. extra digits. <laughs> yes. So in seeing him being different from the other cats that we have in the house, you know, I thought he would make a really cute children's book character. Coming from a level of before beginner level in writing a children's book, that's where I was. I just started writing and did the research. And and that was kind of what I had did during that time as well when I was dealing with all of this pain and trying to figure out what was going on in my spine and all these symptoms I was having. I had an outlet and that was writing. And so I wrote Ferdinand with the extra toes to help show kids that it's okay to be different. It is good to be different. And to embrace and celebrate that and accept others that are different from you. There's a there's a quote and it comes up on a lot of t-shirts. I don't know where the origin is. It's something along the lines of uh, you laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same. I love that. I love that. Um, can you I can you tie together Ferdinand and then everything <laughs> we've talked about with how you have dealt with something that is a unique invisible disability right. and how that's affected your life and how some of that might have been imbued with what you wrote about and how you connect the Ferdinand. Yeah, I, you know, just not being able to do a lot of the things that some of my friends were doing at the time. You know, there were times where I couldn't go to certain events because I wasn't feeling that great or whatever the case may be, you know, just ha being a little bit different than everybody else in my same age group. You know, I mean, sometimes my body treats me like I'm 90 instead of in my 40s. And that's hard to kind of think about. And, and how do you accept that? But writing about Ferdinand and, you know, seeing him as a cat that's different. And, and obviously it's, you know, 
it's not necessarily a real story. He is a real cat. But the storyline in the first book that I wrote is, you know, him looking at the other cats and wishing that he could do the things that they, you know, do and be a part of what they're they're playing. But they were kind of making him feel like the outcast. I've heard this before somewhere. I just can't place it. Something with like a red nose. Right. It's very, it has that same kind of, you know, feeling to it. And then... the cats get into a little predicament where because he has these extra toes, he's able to save them. And and that's where I feel like because I have these invisible illnesses and disabilities and I'm able to help others with that and, and let other people know that they are heard, they're validated. I'm trying to do as much education as I can. So things like this, thank you for allowing me to use this platform to talk about tar love cyst disease and, and all of that. And so I'm hoping that I'm able to help others just like Ferdinand was able to help others in his stories. With uh, To go backwards just a little bit. With all the mysteries and and chasing things, because I I did the same. In fact, like I never got a diagnosis. It was process of of elimination. Um, because I even asked for a fibromyalgia diagnosis because I got I went to a rheumatologist and they're like, you don't have rheumatoid arthritis. What it was was um the undiagnosed anxiety in my Mm. bipolar. If you tell somebody you're thinking of killing yourself, they focus on that, not necessarily any anxiety. Right. I was certainly having that and panic attacks and blah blah blah. And literally, my anxiety was burning up my tendons and ligaments. Mm. So I'd go get MRIs and x-rays. Wow. And they'd, they'd, they'd say, you've got inflammation. And I'm like, I know. I understand that. This is why I'm here. And then finally, I got on a different medication. And just like that, Boom. the stuff went away because it, it like silently squashed all that anxiety where my body was like immolating itself from the inside. And I know what what you were going through because it's like I couldn't do certain things. I couldn't take a right. flight because I didn't know if I'd sit on it for three hours. Yep. They say to, you know, obviously everybody knows if you've got a depression or anything, get get active, get to the gym. Well, I couldn't because something hurt. And if I- Your body wouldn't let you. If I pushed through it, it might hurt a little bit more or something else. It was this this cycle. I always say that the, the depression wasn't going to cause my suicide. It was going to be that anxiety of mm-hmm. just sitting there feeling imprisoned in my own body. It's hard. It's hard to work through that, especially when you're young and you're, you know, you're like, my body shouldn't be feeling like this and I shouldn't have to go through this. And we were around the same age. Mine was around like 25, 26. Okay. And it's like, I feel like I'm 76. Right. Like I know my mind was already kind of there as a just old soul, but I don't want my body to feel like that. Right. So the, the now to the question. Yes. What do you suggest to people who go on this blind journey Uh not getting answers you know the best thing I can always say is you're not alone you definitely are not alone obviously the two of us have just shared in that same common instance but you're not alone and you just have to be your own healthcare advocate. You really have to fight for yourself. And that's what I learned this past year, especially is I just had to keep fighting when doctors were saying, well, this isn't what it is. This isn't what it is. I don't think this is what it is. Okay. But we don't know what it is now. So I need to keep going. I can't just take that roadblock and stop there because I know my body and I know what I'm feeling is real. I know that this is real. So just keep fighting for yourself. Find that support system. You know, even if it's just one other person, use them to lean on because they want to be there for you. They really do want to see you 
in good health and happy and they want you to find your joy. So find that support system, whatever that may be. Maybe it is a forum. Maybe it is a Facebook group. I'm in a Tar Love Sis Facebook group with like 5,000 other individuals. Every day somebody's sharing something and there's immediately people jumping on to comment to to join in saying, I I hear you and I understand you. Depressions and diseases of all kinds have a magical way of telling you that you're the only mm-hmm. one feeling like you're feeling right now and right. it's hopeless when as you just illustrated I thought you were going to say there's five other people in that Facebook group there's no 5,000 and you we hear the horrors of the internet but you talked about how you just look stuff up and you found Ida you yeah remember, you remember my friend Mary Beth at the river yes she's of course. no longer here I know Lost she's an amazing long, soul um Greatest, greatest person. I, I connected with her so much after my mom passed away. She came, she became like my Toledo mom. Oh, and uh, that's her, so her. That's so her. It is, it is. <laughs> and it was because when in the morning when we'd both be at work, she'd be like, "Did you watch the Pistons game last night?" I was like, "Yeah, they sucked." We <laughs> love sports, but within the last couple of years of her battle, when things got really bleak and uh, the, the more rigorous um, stuff to go after her cancer didn't work, she looked up clinical trials for something yeah and she was at the cleveland clinic in like two days yeah she just looked it up and so you can use the internet for good out there and i definitely did that with my current diagnosis and because i did go to a neurosurgeon out in cleveland and he looked at me for five minutes literally and said nah this isn't what it is you need to stretch more i wanted to <laughs> not going to say what I wanted to do but you know so I felt defeated walking yeah. out of that but I was not going to give up because I knew that something could be done to help my situation and I just wasn't ready to say it is what it is um two last things do you do you want me to ask you your motto or you want me to give you a couple minutes to figure that out um you got to get up you got to show up and never give up <laughs> What I thought it was. Hold on, because I know that's one I always talk about. No, no, no. That wait, and say that one again. Get up, show up, dress up, and never give up. Get up, dress up, show up, and yep. I, I will push you back on the dress up part. I can <laughs> get up in the show up, but dress up. I don't know. It depends where we're going. Okay. All, All right. right. I'll give you that much. Very last thing. You are an integral part of the Girl Scouts. Give me the elevator pitch on what you do with them, because I'm going to move that forward and ask you something specific about it. My elevator pitch on what I do with Girl Scouts. Well, in a quick roundabout, I'm in charge of the Girl Scout Cookie Program, which is the world's largest girl-led business. Girls are literally running their own cookie businesses. They're young female entrepreneurs, learning lifelong skills through their participation in the program. And I love being a part of watching them grow and just really you know, gain their confidence and, and be able to do new things. How much power do you feel like you have as an individual who like controls all those cookies? <laughs> I don't feel like I have any power. It's not about power to me. It's about really watching these girls grow. Oh, no, no, no. I meant like <laughs> if, you're at, if you're at Target and your debit card gets declined, you're like, I can give you some some Samoas to get out of here. It is all about the girls. It is yes. all about the girls. It is not uh, about me. <laughs> tell me about the inclusive Girl Scout troop. Yes, we have a great troop. I mean, Girl Scouts is inclusive, period. So really, it's, there are troops that have girls of all walks of life, of all abilities. We do have a a leader that is working to really accept that, you know, more girls that are maybe have some life challenges or different ways that they need to be able to earn some of those badges. Maybe they can't do some of the same 
approach to earning the badge work because that's a really big part of Girl Scouts is the different activities to learn new skills and earn those badges. Um, so we do have a you know a couple of uh, inclusive groups, but really Girl Scouts in general is open to all girls of all walks of life and abilities. When do the cookies go on sale? When can people grab uh, them? I love that you asked that question. Of course, they are on sale now. Okay. Right now is the pre-order phase, but then um, cookies will be in hand. I would say the best bet if you don't know a Girl Scout starting February 17th, you'll see them kind of setting up their pop-up shops in front of those businesses that are so supportive of our girls and our communities. Uh, where can people find out more or grab a copy of Ferdinand? Oh, Ferdinand. Greencloverbooks.com or on social media, Ferdinand with the extra toes. I have an Instagram page that I run like it's his page. So yes, you get a lot of cat videos. I mean, who doesn't love cat videos? Right. Right. And then Ferdinand with the extra toes on Facebook is my business page where I talk about all the different places that I'll be with the books. We often finish these and I don't know if Mallory put this in the oh, initial boy. email. Uh, just like some outside of the box questions. Outside okay. of the box questions. Um, but I'm going to eschew those so I can have some content to use on the air later on today. Okay. And I'm going to throw some Girl Scout cookie trivia, Girl Scout oh, no. trivia at you. You always do this to me. I should have been prepared. What do you mean I always do this the to you? The last time you came you with spot? Girl Scout cookies and non-Girl Scout cookies oh, and blind tape. Remember that? Yes. I will never forget that. I, I know. <laughs> but hey, we we won because the Girl Scout cookies were always better. It's it's <laughs> it's it's fun trauma I cause people. <laughs> um, Is there such a thing as fun trauma? Really? Yes, when no. you, yes, when you overcome a fear, when you go on a roller coaster. Okay, okay, I get it. Um, yeah. Okay, the first Girl Scout uh, trivia question I have for you. Where were the Girl Scouts founded? They were, Savannah, Georgia is the home of Girl Scouts. Yes, do you remember the woman's name or the young girl's Julia name? Julia Gordon-Lowe, of course. Uh, In I, 1912, the first cookie program sale was 1917. Uh, okay, let me <laughs> stick with that that time frame. How many Girl Scouts made up the original Girl Scouts? Oh, I have a picture in my head. I want to say it was like a dozen. No, you're looking at me. I don't know the answer to that question. I Eight, probably should. 18. 18. Okay. So 18. I was, I have a black and white picture in my head that I, you know, I've seen a lot of photos of Juliet Gordon Lowe and yes. Two more. Okay. What year did the Girl Scouts website debut? Oh my goodness. I don't know that I've honestly ever thought about that question in my entire life i don't know when was what when were websites like popular there you go <laughs> just throw something out from that, that i time. feel like probably when websites became a thing they were like hey we need to jump on board because girl scouts are innovative 1996 is the correct okay answer. thank yes, you for they, that and they popped it up through their geo geo cities netscape navigator nonsense okay La last question true or false cinnaspins is a retired cookie Oh, all of these retired cookies. I know some of them. What is it again? Cinnaspin? Cinnaspin. I'm going to say true. That is a retired cookie. Uh, that sounds like a Girl Scout cookie. Something along the lines, I guess, in the early 2000s when they wanted to make things a little more nutritious. I don't know what's nutritious about Cinnaspins, <laughs> but it didn't last long. And when I looked up retired Girl Scout cookies, there were some weird ones in there. There are some interesting names, yes. Uh, Aloha something, La Cream, get some... some uh, <laughs> Thanks for the time. You are officially you. off the hot seat. Thanks for visiting um, 68 Words. Any Anything else you want to throw out there? 
You know, the best piece of advice I can always give somebody is to do what makes you happy, listen to your body, and find your joy. Which probably includes Girl Scout cookies. Of course! (laughs) This is Chief Armstrong of Toledo Fire and Rescue. 68 Words has been a production of the Ability Center, hosted by Cumulus Media's Eric Chase. Engineering provided by Will Mellon, and executive produced by Mallory Crooks. If you, your group, organization, or business is interested in hosting a disability awareness experience or have other inquiries, please contact info at abilitycenter.org. Until next time, think differently. Think differently. Think differently.